1: Hello and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. I'm your host, Jason Palmer. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. Democracy activists and sympathizers in Hong Kong have ever fewer places to turn. Protest leaders and many media types are already in jail. Now, authorities are squeezing the labor unions that had become havens of democratic sentiment. And picture a square about five feet or one and a half meters on a side. That's the space a new California animal welfare law allocates to each breeding pig. But unless stubborn pork producers make the change, those little piggies won't be going to market. First up, though. Ten years ago today, Steve Jobs resigned as the chief executive of Apple following a cancer diagnosis.
0: We've just gotten a hold of his letter of resignation. It says, I've always said that if there ever came a day when I could no longer meet my duties and expectations as Apple's CEO, I would be the first to let you know. Unfortunately, that day has come.
1: Across the tech industry, there was a grand ringing of hands.
2: It's almost like... You know a, a statesman or, or someone who is a spiritual leader is stepping aside
1: where would the iphone maker be without its visionary co-founder
0: as far as his successor goes he asked that they name tim cook as the ceo of apple he says i believe apple's brightest and most innovative days are ahead of it i look forward
1: to- jobs died six weeks later a day after the company unveiled the iphone 4s
0: this is my
2: first product launch since being named CEO. I'm sure you didn't know that.
1: (laughs) Tim Cook has overseen a few product launches since, each one shining the apple further. But to keep growing a company already so big will require some blockbuster new gizmos and some deft navigation of a world that's changed a lot in the past decade.
2: Tim Cook has staged what what could probably be called the, the most successful succession story in tech. This industry is littered with CEOs that followed founders or co-founders who then failed.
1: Ludwig Ziegler is The Economist's U.S. technology editor.
2: In pure financial terms, I would say he was even more successful than the late Steve Jobs. No CEO in history has created more shareholder value. The company is now worth $2.5 trillion. That's seven times more than when Cook took over 10 years ago.
1: And how is it that Apple has managed to keep up that growth over these 10 years?
2: So Cook is a great manager. He's kind of made Apple more and more efficient. is very demanding. He's asking a lot of questions, pushing people to explain, for example, why this cell in a spreadsheet only shows 98 and and 100% and those things. But Cook also was very adept in writing the forces that have driven the tech industry or the global economy. And one, of course, is, is mobile computing. So the iPhone, there's now more than one billion active iPhones around. And what Cook has done is systematically improved the iPhone. If you compare the iPhone 4S that was released when he became CEO and now iPhone 13, which is supposed to be released in September, I think, it has a processor that is 5,000% faster and stronger. But Cook also rode globalization. He was the one who pushed Apple into outsourcing its manufacturing to China. Foxconn, Apple's biggest outsourcing company in China, employs, I think, a million people there now, and most of them work for Apple. And uh, the first thing, uh, or the third trend uh, Cook wrote is, is, is network effects. So if you look at the uh, App Store, Cook and, and Apple also created an, an entire economy. Uh, that means kind of, of course, the revenues of, 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 uh, of Apple, but also all the companies uh, that make money on its platforms, and in particularly the App Store.
1: So beyond being a detail man, how is it that Tim Cook has made Apple not just successful, but but the tech king?
2: He's not just a detail man. He's also politically quite astute. So he was the first leader of a big tech company to understand that big companies or companies of the size like Apple or Google or Facebook, they need to take responsibility for the impact they have on society. In Apple's case, that meant very early on, like 10 years ago. Cook started putting an emphasis on sustainability. Apple has a very ambitious goal of becoming carbon neutral across all its products by the end of the decade. The other thing is privacy. So if you open an app on the iPhone now, you have to agree to being tracked by an app.
1: And given the success of those strategies, then, do you think this meteoric rise of the company can continue at this rate?
2: So Cook is, is not going to become a bad manager overnight, but there are a few things that suggest that his second 10 years will be a bit tougher than the first. And, and one is basically that a company of Apple size, it, it becomes more and more difficult for it to grow just by the force of mathematics. So far, that's not been a big issue because Cook has managed to keep the iPhone as a big success. There are new revenue sources like the App Store, Apple Music, and wearables, the Apple Watch and uh, the AirPods. But I think in the long run, Apple has to have kind of a, a new iPhone-like act. And that's why there is talk about eyeglasses and the iCar. As of now, it seems that Apple is planning to release an, an Apple Car and iCar in 2024. But it has a few problems with the eyeglasses and the iCar. With the eyeglasses, it's more competition. So Facebook has big plans. Microsoft's HoloLens. So there, there's a number of competitors out there. And the problems with the iCar, I think, are a bit more fundamental. It's much more complicated. Regulation, safety. And then, of course, they're not just kind of technical or, or business challenges, but there's a big one, a geopolitical one.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: So, of course, there, there's a tension, the growing tension between the U.S. and China. It's quite likely, I think, that at some point, Apple will become a victim of that. So far, it's been rather protected because it's so important for China's economy. But we've seen recently that the Chinese government went after its own tech giants, Tencent, Alibaba. If push comes to shove, I think Apple will be vulnerable too. And if that happens... I think that could be quite detrimental for Apple. Uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, a couple of years ago, did uh, kind of a study analyzing the worst case scenario for Apple in China. I mean, these are super different circumstances. This was under Trump, but they said this could cut Apple's profits by nearly 30%. And I think that's a conservative estimate. China is the second or third biggest market for Apple. 20% of revenues come from there. Also, it's the manufacturing base for almost all iPhones. So Apple is vulnerable there.
1: So if through falling foul of Chinese authorities or or by any other means, someone were to knock Apple off its pedestal, who could take its place? Who would be a credible challenger?
2: I mean, the the image most people have of tech is that there's these five big giants and not much competition is happening there. Those companies never really try to invade each other's main turf. So Apple has never built a real search engine uh, to compete with Google's or trying to build a social network to compete with Facebook's. But increasingly, there's more competition between those big companies. And there are also smaller ones coming up. I think what will happen is that going forward, there will be more competition in tech and uh, life will be more difficult for Apple. Even in hardware, life will be more difficult in Tim Cook's next 10 years.
1: And you reckon Mr. Cook will stick around that
2: long? That's a big question. I mean, some people thought he, he would resign after 10 years. He could have. It was, was quite a successful run. But a couple of months ago, he signed a new contract and his new stock rant fully vests in 2025. So I don't think he's going to leave before that. People are already talking about who, who could succeed Cook. I mean, one name often mentioned is Jeff Williams. He's Apple's chief operating officer. Problem with him is that he's much like Tim Cook. He's sometimes called Tim Cook's Tim Cook. He has a kind of the same background. He even looks a bit like Tim Cook, walks like Tim Cook. And the question is, after Tim Cook, perhaps Apple needs somebody else, needs perhaps another Steve Jobs, who who is a bit more radical in in his approach or her approach. I've talked to one person who some think could be a, a successor. He says Apple should be much more radical and develop devices for the bottom 3 billion for Africa. Tim Cook was the person who was kind of perfect to to grow the baby Steve Jobs had created. But I think at some point, Apple will need somebody who's more like Steve Jobs, who tries to make a dent in the universe,
1: as Steve Jobs famously said. Ludwig, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Jason, for having me.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
1: Security law imposed in Hong Kong last summer has been the force behind change after troubling change in the city. In nebulous terms, the law says police can arrest people for any conduct that seriously endangers national security. First, they came for the protesters and activists who ground Hong Kong to a halt in 2019. Then they came for the media outlets, such as the pro-democracy newspaper Apple Daily and its outspoken owner, Jimmy Lai now it seems the authorities have their sights set on the city's storied organized labor
3: outfits a few weeks ago chinese state media called the city's largest teachers union a poisonous tumor that had to be eliminated and hours later we saw the hong kong education bureau say it would no longer recognize the union of around 100,000 members or about 80 percent of the city's teachers
1: su lin wong is a china correspondent for the economist
3: so then the union tried to mollify the government It cut ties with several pro-democracy organisations in Hong Kong, as well as Education International, which is a global group of teachers' unions. It also announced it would form a new working group to try to promote Chinese history and culture among teachers and students. But despite these compromises, the union still declared it was disbanding on August 10th.
1: And it sounds as if that's not the only union that's been targeted.
3: No. In July, we saw five leaders of a speech therapist's union also arrested. So they had published three allegorical picture books for children about sheep protecting their village from wolves. And the police accused them of writing stories that incited hatred of the government. On top of this, over the past year or so, we've seen three of the city's top trade union leaders arrested. And that really has been deeply chilling to the labor movement more broadly. This is all part of a broader crushing of civil society in Hong Kong.
1: So as you say, the crackdown is extremely broad, but why is the Communist Party targeting unions so specifically?
3: Prior to the 1970s, most unions in Hong Kong were affiliated with either the Communist Party or the Kuomintang, which fled mainland China for Taiwan in 1949. And it wasn't until the 1970s that we saw independent unions aligned with neither political party begin to form. And the teachers union is a very good example of this. It was founded in 1973 after successful teacher strikes that saw the government roll back a proposal to cut teachers' salaries. But before 2019, we saw the labour movement struggle quite a bit. Hong Kong is known for its free market ways and it has an incredibly powerful business lobby. But during the protests in 2019, particularly as the police crackdown grew and it became harder and harder for protesters to take to the street, we saw a whole range of new middle-class professionals begin to organise, everyone from accountants and civil servants and engineers to insurance and IT workers all established new unions Um, and they were set up to help organize more citywide strikes. Um, So in 2019 we saw the first citywide strike in over half a century in Hong Kong and many of the protesters hoped that those types of general strikes could continue beyond that year.
1: And so a lot of those unions that were formed in and after 2019 are now the ones that are at risk. Are there more at imminent risk of being disbanded?
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot of fear and hopelessness amongst many of the members of these new pro- democracy unions. Some of the leaders of these unions have resigned because they fear arrest or they fear retaliation in the workplace. And many new members are not renewing their membership. We're seeing huge outflows of people from Hong Kong migrating to places like the UK and Canada. Many scholars and labour activists who I've spoken to predict that The next organisation which might have to fold because of pressure from the authorities is the umbrella organisation for Hong Kong's labour movement, the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions. So the chairwoman of the confederation has already been arrested, as has the general secretary, who is currently serving a jail sentence.
1: So with the umbrella organisation at risk of folding, how do you see this progressing? What's next?
3: should the Confederation be forced to fold what we will likely see is that its rival organization the Federation will play a more and more prominent role in the labor movement in Hong Kong so the Federation is considered extremely pro-government and it doesn't actually really advocate for workers rights what it does is it offers very cheap dues and a lot of weekend outings and discounts and all kinds of classes for its members and in this way has been able to build up a very large membership base. But what many Labor activists and scholars think will happen is that the Federation will increasingly resemble the only legal trade union in mainland China, which is known as the All-China Federation of Trade Unions. And that's not really a trade union. It's more just a wing of the Communist Party and union officials there are really just civil servants who are not there to help workers advocate for their rights or engage in collective bargaining or stage strikes. Rather, they're there to help the Communist Party maintain its grip on power.
1: And so what's it like then watching not only as the more overt signs of the pro-democracy movement have been dismantled, but now even the proxies, the places people had gone to hide that sentiment?
3: Reporting this story was really quite a shocking experience. I've spent the last month or so uh, speaking to various contacts who have subsequently been arrested and denied bail and jailed. Other people I spoke to were members of organizations that have had to disband. It actually sort of reminds me of what it was like being a journalist in mainland China. I think there are still big differences between Hong Kong and mainland China, but I have really been struck at how much more similar they are now than they were when I first moved to Hong Kong in early 2019.
1: Thanks very much for joining us, Su Lin.
3: Thanks very much, Jason.
1: For more analysis like this from our international network of correspondents, take out a subscription to The Economist. Get a great introductory deal at economist.com slash intelligence offer. The link is in the show notes. Bringing home the bacon looks set to get harder in California. The state's supply looks like it's in for a crunch, thanks to a ballot proposition first passed in 2018. It set new standards for animal welfare in the pork, veal, and egg industries. But the pork producers are dragging their hooves on meeting the new rules.
0: Proposition 12 in California required a minimum amount of space for animals in factory farms. So for calves raised for veal, it required 43 square feet. For egg-laying chickens, it required one square foot. And for breeding pigs, it required 24 square feet.
1: Tamara jilks is our U.S. policy correspondent.
0: For veal and for eggs, the regulations went into place in 2020, and both industries complied. But so far, pork products and the pork industry have not complied, and they have until January 1st to do so.
1: So these pork producers who have chosen not to comply so far, what are they saying about Proposition 12?
0: The pork industry is claiming that the law is unconstitutional, but so far their challenges have been unsuccessful. Two industry bodies had their petition to strike down the law declined in July, and the Supreme Court denied a petition filed by another industry body a month earlier. One of the advocates for the pork industry that I spoke with, Michael Formica, at the national pork producers council he said that the new law is placing an unreasonable burden on the pork producers one fact that he shared with me is that less than four percent of all housing for breeding pigs currently meets the new standards
1: and what about supporters of the law what are they saying about this
0: the supporters are blaming the pork industry they think that they really have not tried hard and instead of focusing their efforts on complying like the egg industry and the veal industry, they have spent the last few years focusing on getting rid of the law. It's worth pointing out that protecting animals isn't new. Eight states have passed laws that will ban eggs produced by caged hens over the next few years. And the European Union has also phased out the confinement of hens in cages. And even major companies like McDonald's, Kellogg's, Kroger's, They've announced plans to use only cage-free eggs by 2025.
1: So how do you see this going if the pork industry continues to stonewall the effort and focus instead on challenging the laws and, and failing?
0: It seems like this law is going to remain the law and that the pork industry will have to comply. And because California is America's largest consumer of pig products, what California does impacts the pork industry overall and Prop 12 could end up setting a countrywide standard. And this could really impact consumers in terms of pricing. A consulting firm hired by opponents of Prop 12 estimate that consumers could pay up to 60% more for a pack of bacon. But we've heard warnings before about shortages, for example, during COVID, and they ended up not coming true. So we'll have to see whether or not consumers actually end up paying more for their bacon. But whether we're talking about pork products now or chicken or veal or cows, it seems like the meat industry is going to have to make some changes. The world is changing and they are demanding better standards for animals. So it looks like the industry is just going to have to step up to the plate.
1: Tamara, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.